once I sort of figure out, okay, like I am made to be me and that's okay. Like it's okay that I exist in this body. It's okay that I look this particular way, then I stop having this belief or maybe I have to challenge it less the belief that I need to eat like someone else to look like someone else. Because I can't eat like someone else to look like them. I could eat like them, but I'm still going to look like me. And once I sort of really let that sink in, no matter who I eat like, I'm still going to look like me. Well, I might as well just eat like me. At that point, what do I want to eat? Because I want to eat what I want to eat. I don't want to eat what Beyonce wants to eat. She told us with the little diet she went on for Coachella. And she said she was miserable. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, here with my co-host, Devin Dito. It's Thanksgiving week, listeners, and uh, Devin and I, we just want to do something special as far as an episode. Um, we know that everybody's about to get ready to sit down around their dinner tables or lunch tables, however y'all do Thanksgiving with your family and friends, and sit around for some feasting. But before we get there, we wanted to have a discussion about nutrition, really an attempt to better understand the importance of food and health. So we're joined today by Christina Johnson, MSRDNLD. She has her master's of science in nutrition. She's a registered nutritionist and a licensed dietitian. Christina's philosophy is this, quote, there is no one size fits all. There is no magic diet, pill or plan. We eat, we eat to nourish, we eat to celebrate, we eat to socialize. The only rule is there are no rules. There is room for everyone here. With so much body shaming and stigmas around health, we just wanted to talk about this because we know that, you know, as you sit around at your tables, we don't want you to have regrets and hold back. So listeners, get ready to learn. And Christina, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That What an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we, you know, we, <laughs> we, we like to do it up here at the Black Agenda. We say that this isn't CNN, but we're going to make you feel like you're on CNN. So we appreciate <laughs> that. But <laughs> to take us into our first segment, which is themed around how can food be harmful? When you think about the black diet, you know, there's a number of things that kind of come to mind. Uh, Dev and I, we're both from Mississippi. So when you, you know, come, you know, from Mississippi, you know about, you know, soul food, you know about that Southern cuisine that we have. And unfortunately, you know, we may be overindulgent and we have a lot of preexisting conditions. And we saw that throughout the pandemic with COVID. You know, you see the diabetes, the high blood pressure, even cholesterol problems. And we kind of fit all three of those at times, especially in the South. So to start our conversation off, Christina, when folks talk about how food has impacted, you know, generational health, how has the diet of most Black Americans led to some of the health issues we face today? I think I think that's a great question. I think that's a very like complex question that's like on on the cusp seems very like straightforward of like let's blame this individual food item, but I think it's really a conversation around did we choose those food items or were those food items handed to us? Right. Because that's the first thing we need to pay attention to is we didn't necessarily choose those food items. They were handed to us. If you think about, you know, black people who have existed in America, they were especially as slaves. They were oftentimes handed these very like poor cuts of meat, um, sort of the scraps in the garden. And so they just learned how to make the best of it. And we sort of handed that down as our culture because we had to create a culture once we got here. Now, if we look at, you know, 2020, 2021, we can say, okay, maybe there's a lack of balance between what um, would be the most nutrient dense options versus things that offer less nutrition. But there's no one single culprit so much as there's a bunch of things um, sort of surrounding each other that sort of lend to this predicament that we're in. Right. Because we also 
I think oftentimes want to blame the food because that's the easy option, right? That is the thing that we seem to think is the most modifiable in this equation. And and you're correct on that in that it is the most modifiable, but there's also not enough fruits and vegetables to outweigh systemic oppression, right? Like you cannot eat your way out of a stressful job in that you can have all the blueberries, you can have all the carrots, all these sort of beautiful antioxidants, but that's not going to change the fact that you still have to work three jobs and your body's tired, right? Like that, those two do not cancel each other out. And so I think it's important for us to sort of look at that whole picture for that individual of like, what are all of the things that are contributing to their poor health and how can we sort of mitigate and manage all of those things? Exactly. I mean, like you say, the food is an easy target, you know, for people to blame it on just the food. And we did an episode last year with Michael uh, Twitty, who's kind of like a food expert, connoisseur, historian. And he brought up a good point when talking about soul food and that, again, it's not the food necessarily, but also we have to factor in that our lifestyles have changed. You know, when, when soul food and all these different things came about, when we were creating our own food culture, it was during slavery and that was handed down, but the, our lifestyles were a lot different. We were a lot more active. We were literally in fields. So we were burning incredible amounts of calories. So we needed calorie dense foods and you needed the things that we were eating, but our lifestyles have changed. We're much a much more sedentary country now, but we're still eating. Like you say, we're eating the same foods that were handed to us, those calorie dense foods and that is where you see the things getting out of whack where people are being overweight because our lifestyles have really just changed. We're not burning as much. We don't need as much energy as we used to because our jobs, yes, some, you know, a lot of them are stressful, but for a lot of us, it's a lot easier. You're just sitting at a mm-hmm. computer. So mm-hmm. you're not burning that same amount of energy. And so that's where you see the, you know, the weight gain come from, I guess. And so that's, that's a good point saying it's not just the food. Um, when talking about soul food. But the other thing I was going to ask about too is I listened to your your recent podcast episode about food has no moral value. And I thought it was an interesting topic because, you know, when we talk about bad foods that will harm you, we, like you were saying during your show, we typically avoid those foods because they're often, that food is attached to certain body figures, you know, Lower economic people typically typically eat bad foods. That's how we associate, you know, those. And whereas with say healthier food, you have in your mind a person that has a you know skinnier figure. They probably look a certain way. They have more money. So just talk about how you even came up with that topic of food having no moral value, and then maybe explain how applying those value those morals to certain foods can actually lead to myths being created about black and brown people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, So I think a little backstory to this is that I work like full time as an eating disorder dietitian. So I see people come into my office that have these very warped, very distorted relationships with food where they are going out of their way to avoid eating this thing that they deem as, quote, bad. And part of this is this sort of internal belief that if I eat the bad thing now, I am bad. Right. That's sort of like juxtaposed morality. And a lot of this comes from the sort of... um, rhetoric that we have around food of like, there is a good way to eat and a quote, bad way to eat that has come from um, this long history of how we converse about food and what we sort of believe food to be, right? Um, If you've ever heard of the book or read the book, uh, Fear in the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Dr. Sabrina Strings, I think that's a great read to help us understand the sort of long history of we have taken food and turned it into this sort of intellectual 
concept of like people who are smart or intelligent, or in this case, especially when it comes to morals, who are more holy or pure or righteous eat a particular way. And then those who do not fit that category eat in sort of quote the opposite way, right? So my concept or conversation that I'm constantly having is, is why are we equating our intelligence, our sort of moral standing to what we're eating? How does that impact our actual decisions as a human being, right? I don't make good decisions because of what I eat. I make good decisions because it's an internal thought process or it's based on my ethics, right? Like those two are very separate things because it's like, I don't, I don't, I understand, but it's, I struggle to actually put into words how those two can combine other than if you were someone who ethically you were opposed to eating meat, right? Like that makes sense to me. If you're like, I ethically am opposed to eating meat, clearly I'm not going to eat an animal because I'm opposed to that. But how can you ethically be opposed to having flour? How can you ethically be opposed to having like, I don't know, collard greens, right? Like how are you ethically opposed to this sort of thing? That's really what we say, what we, what's really happening when we're having a moral conversation on whether something is a food is good or bad. You know, it's, that's such an interesting point about, you know, good foods, bad foods. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, maybe the communities you listen to and focus in on, because if you, you know, if you're on the social medias and the entertainment hubs, you're going to see these, you know, figures that personify certain things to be good and certain body images to be good. And even in the uh, LGBTQ community, um, you know, there's a lot of body shaming, you know, within a lot of the social apps and things like that to where people mm-hmm. feel that, you know, you've got to adhere to, you know, this keto, low carb, you know, cut everything out. You can't have ice cream. You can't do, you know, you have to deny so many different things just to kind of fit into a different role or stereotype or whatever the case may be, depending on the community you're trying to appease. So, yeah, I'm glad you um, talked about that within your podcast, uh, Christina, because that's such an excellent point uh, and a great way to um, round off our first segment here, talking about how food can be harmful. So listeners, what we're going to do, we're going to give you our first break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into our second segment, which really talks about teaching you know how to be healthy with eating so make sure you stick with us we'll be right back we absolutely appreciate your support you are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at black agenda pod that's at black agenda pod let's get back to the show All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're continuing our conversation with Miss Christina Johnson. Again, she's a registered uh, nutritionist and licensed dietitian out of Dallas, Texas. And so, um, Christina, our second segment here is really about teaching our people about healthy eating. And so, as you know, there's a no shortage of diets. Adrian already mentioned the keto diet. I know a lot of people who are on that, uh, but everyone seems to believe they have the answer to quick weight loss and, you know, the answer to a healthy lifestyle and things like that. But these diets are really just that they're diets. And a lot of times they aren't really helping people build the necessary healthy habits. So you can live a sustained, you know, have a sustained life with healthy eating habits. Um, And so at your business, though, encouraging nutrition, you say your, you know, your nutritional philosophy really is rooted in the social justice framework of, of healthy, of health at every size and also looking at things through the lens of intuitive eating. So 
we wanted to give you the opportunity, you know, explain to our listeners what that means. What What is that, you know, rooted in the social justice framework of health at every size? And how do you go about teaching your clients how to build a healthy relationship with food? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the sort of driving principles that I have as a dietitian and I like didn't realize I had it until I like read the definition of this. And I was like, oh, well, I think I've always sort of practiced this way is the concept of food sovereignty in that my job as a dietitian is to teach you how to choose what you want to eat based on your own flavor preferences, based on your budget, based on where you live in the world, right? Whether you're in Texas or you're somewhere else in the U.S. or maybe you're somewhere outside of the U.S., right? My job is to teach you how to pick those items for yourself, not because I tell you you should, right? Because if that were the case, I'm going to tell you to pick things that I like to eat, but that doesn't mean that you like to eat them. That doesn't mean that they're within your budget or even have access to that particular store, (laughs) right? So I firmly sort of operate from that food sovereignty perspective of like, I want you to have access to whatever it is that you need to have access to, right? So I want you to have access to whatever fruits and vegetables you want to have the access to, grains, however you want to get your protein, but you make the choice on what it is that you bring into your home that makes sense for you, the time you have to cook it, your own skill set to cook it, because not everybody knows how to cook. And that's okay, question mark. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an important <laughs> skill to have to be able to cook, but I understand uh, if you don't currently have that skill set, doesn't mean you can't learn. We are all right. teachable people. Um, but as it relates to health at every size, I think that oftentimes it gets confused for this sort of belief that people are healthy at every size. Misnomer, right? Health at every size. So it's seeking health, the sort of in that word, um, health at whatever size you are currently existing at, whatever that means for you, right? Because health is not this sort of moral obligation that you have to other people. It's not social currency. My friends aren't friends with me because they perceive me to be healthy. They're friends with me because they like me as the person that I am. And some days that's better than other days, but what are you going to do, right? Um, But allowing people to figure out what that means for them. And I think we can all sort of make the agreement here that what I need to be healthy today is not the same thing I needed to be healthy at 18. I was doing something totally different at 18. I'm still in high school, still living at home, right? That's a totally different set of health and things that I need. I am now well into my 20s, almost 30, and I live on my own. I have a full-time job, right? I run a business. All the, like That's a totally different set of needs versus being in high school going to the football game on a Friday night. That's a very, like, so, so different. And that's still going to be different than, you know, when I'm 60 or 70, having a total, like living a totally different life, like, but being able to figure out, okay, these are the things that I need or the things that I want to pursue so that I feel my best. Or let's say someone lives with diabetes or they're living with hypertension. What does it mean for them to manage that well so that they feel their best And, you know, can live whatever life they're trying to live, whatever activity that means for them, being able to like, you know, work, support themselves, whatever that case may be. And so being able to sort of pursue that on that individual level, but then also from a sort of systemic level level or like a legislative level, making access to health care like a like not this mind-blowing, complicated, complex thing where you're trying to explain the difference between an EPO, a PPO, an HMO, like, 
We share your it's frustrating. I will say it's that. So frustrating. We share the frustration. It is. Like it's such I, a complex thing that doesn't need to be this complex, right? Like in order to take care of yourself, it should not have to be this complex. I shouldn't have to explain to people that if you live, what a food desert is, that shouldn't even be a thing. That's mm-hmm. a phenomenon that we have created where you can go somewhere and have to drive 10, 15, 20 minutes to get to the nearest food store that might not even be a grocery store, but it's a gas station that sells a couple of, you know, a couple bananas and a couple apples mm-hmm. and then everything else comes in a package, right? I'm not here to judge you if that's the only thing you have access to. That's not my business. Like, what were you supposed to do? You didn't tell the grocery store not to go there. That's a good and, point. And I mean, that's, yeah. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of the, 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 the point that I was going to make with, with asking my second question. You've kind of hit on a lot of these points, but, and, you know, kind of that theme that Devin brought up about the social justice framework and the theme you brought up about some of the legislative focuses. You know, Devin and I, we've talked so much, you know, this season, last season about a lot of different reforms and a lot of different issues that Black America is pushing for, whether it be in policing, housing, schools, jobs, whatever the case may be. But nobody's really talking about the food aspect. And Devin and I, like I said, we're both from Mississippi and you touched on one thing that Mississippi is is really known for is food deserts. I mean, it's a, a lot of different things from, you know, food deserts to uh, grocery taxes um, to even, you know, being able to uh, afford organic sections for meats and produces. There's a lot of different things that I feel like we could be focusing on legislatively. So, you know, Christina, what what are some things that you would say uh, or, 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 you know, maybe point activists and advocates uh, towards to maybe give them some ammunition to affect change in this area? One, I think getting the laws off the books that sort of, even if they're not currently active, because it's technically currently illegal to redline, right? That is an illegal practice. You cannot legally redline, but there's a such thing as a grocery store redline or the retail redline where I'm not going to put notice where you don't see Trader Joe's, notice where you don't see Whole Foods, right? You are not going to see these in particular areas because they have a policy within their company or, you know, that says that they're not going to put their store below a, a an average median income. Or they're not going to put this in a location where there's not an, a, another set of stores that, you know, are with that offer items at an equal price so that they know they're going to recoup their money for putting it in this area because they're looking at, oh, quote, the crime rate. Well, the crime rate exists because people don't have access to the things that they need. People are more likely to commit crimes when they are in poverty or, and are struggling or frustrated with the system that they currently live in. We know this to be statistically true. So like, actually, you'd be doing much better to put the grocery store there. Also that you created jobs, but whatever. What do I know? (laughs) No, you're no, you're you're absolutely right. That's the frustration we have. And it's you know, it's it's not a new phenomenon. Like you say, it's 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 companies dictating where they're going to put their stores. And, you know, COVID really on, you know, shed a lot of light on this too, when a lot of people mm-hmm. had to stay at home and couldn't go out. And you mm-hmm. saw that the, you know, the healthy food options were limited, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not just food deserts. I mean, we had, a, we got a new term, I think it was this last summer was a food swamp. So not only do they not have healthy food options, but the food options they do have available are like the worst of the worst. Like it's all oh, yeah. fast food, grease fried you know the things we like the churches and popeyes and all that stuff that have a place but that can't be our everyday thing 
Exactly. It's like you you can have those in our neighborhoods, but they're so concentrated. But then you don't get the healthy food, op, you know, the healthy fast food options. If that's a thing, you don't have even access to those in our neighborhood. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of times it's not just because people want to eat bad. It's just they just don't have many, any other choices and they don't make enough necessarily to always be able to go to the organic section and pay, you know, a higher, you know, pay more for their food, go home, cook it. Mm-hmm. It's just not feasible for a lot of people. And it's not because they're lazy. And like you say, we, we've turned food into this moral judgment um, of if you're a certain size and you eat at certain places, then that makes you a bad eater or, or bad person, you know, for some folks. But um, one thing we did want to ask about with your experience, you've got your own business and you're doing this every day. Are there any tips, you know, if we could give our listeners some homework, maybe, are there any tips that you would give anyone who's maybe looking to eat healthy on a budget? And what is, you know, what's your take on meal prepping? Is that something you suggest to your clients or just kind of give us your feedback on that? Yeah. Before I answer that question, I want to throw a piece of another thing of legislation that I think we really need to work on is like what it means for people to be able to garden for themselves and how depending on where you live, you have a harder time gardening if there's some big farm next to you that has um, patented seeds. Right. Let's say you want to grow something in your backyard and now you have an issue with that or like even the sort of prohibitive um, factors of getting into gardening. Right. My current thing right now. I'm trying to grow my own things because I think it's fun. And it also gives me something to do, right? That's my current homework. Um, But it's such a, we are so divorced from what's happening in our food sort of chain, food, our way of getting food that most people have no idea how these things are occurring. So I think that is something that's really important. But to answer your question in terms of like healthy eating or like what it means to sort of eat on a budget, I think figuring out, where one where you can get the most bang for your buck, right? So like maybe that does not mean that you are shopping at a a, a higher tier grocery store. It is totally it totally okay, so fine if you need to use the WalMarts, the Aldi of the world, right? Like no one's here to judge you if that is how you procure your food. You do you in that particular respect, and then figuring out what you have the storage for. So do you have more storage space for canned items versus frozen items? Do you have more storage space for, you know, whatever the case may be, how much space do you have to store these items? And then what time frame do you have to prepare these items? So if you work two, three jobs, I'm not really going to recommend that you buy something fresh if you don't have the time to prepare it because you're constantly at work. Right. You just wasted your money because you brought this fresh item home with the assumption that it's better for you. Nothing's good for you if you didn't cook it and eat it. Right. Like you just like you just wasted your right money. Now. Right? Like you wasted your money <laughs> in that me. respect. So I'd rather you buy it frozen, put it in the freezer and be able to cook it when you need it. At least now you have it. Or if you got it out of a can. OK, cool. And we know cans last for a long time. You know, this little panoramic that we've been in for a hot little minute, like cans are important. They serve a purpose. <laughs> Um, I think that's really important. Knowing the difference between uh, like cost per like uh, serving in terms of are you getting, are you spending more money to buy a smaller portion or are you spending more money to buy a larger portion of this thing, right? Figuring that out so that you know, like if I buy, like an example, this is a box of cereal. If I buy this smaller box of cereal because I'm not going to eat it I don't think I'm going to eat the whole box of cereal in this length of time. Maybe you're spending more money for that smaller box of cereal and it would have been cheaper to get the bigger box of cereal in terms of like cheaper for the long haul. Hmm. Right. So like really, 
looking at that no, like that right. I think is really <laughs> helpful to help people sort of like sort of figure this thing out and then also having a like a fleshed out idea of how you're going to use the ingredients right don't just go in here and buy all these lovely beautiful luscious fruits vegetables but have no idea how you're going to use them like have a plan for what you want to do with them and if you're on a real tight budget figure out a plan where you can use these things multiple ways Okay, so you got the kale. Where are you putting the kale? Is the kale going in the breakfast? Is it going in your lunch? Is it going in the dinner? Right now, you took this one thing and turned it into three separate meals. That is much more cost effective than getting one ingredient for one thing. That's right. I mean, that's how I do my meal prep. Uh, you know, listeners and Christina, I you know I have my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But you know, because I was looking, at, I had you know a trainer who had sent me a plan where it was like different meals for all three you know things per day. I'm just like that's you know 21 different meals or so. Uh, I was like, that's just unrealistic and unaffordable to have to do that. But like Christina is saying, listeners, when you can use one ingredient, you know, for multiple meals and figure out how to do that, or, you know, instead of trying to make this elaborate, you know, casserole pasta dish with all these different ingredients, consider, you know, doing a more simplified something, you know, working within your means. But, you know, you hit on some amazing points, Christina, because it's a, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I used to be a chef and, you know, with food, there's just a lot of things that people, um, you know, just, you know, hear about and a lot of stigmas around that you got to shop in the organic sections. You don't need to shop in the aisles. You need to avoid those. But like you said, you got to, you know, stay within your means, just like, you know, financial professionals tell people live within their means. You got to do that with your food and also, you know, have some of the other things that go with it. So thank you for um, pointing that out. And, you know, like I said, as people sitting around their dinner tables, we don't want them to have regrets. So thank you for helping with that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. some I know good I, seasons too. You, oh, know, you want to talk about a good you. remix, invest in some good seasons. That way you could take that same dish that you've had Monday and Tuesday, change up the seasons a little bit. Now you got a new fresh, refresh meal on Wednesday, Thursday, right? Like, so we're not getting bored. Cause if you meal prep this same one thing, you're more likely to get bored if you're having it five days in a row. But if you change the like add a little sauce to it, a little hot sauce or add some seasons to it, you'll you'll change it up and not feel so bored with that same food item. All right. There you go. Let's uh, tip after <laughs> tip after tip. That's what you come to the black agenda for. But what we're going to do, we're going to take another break and we're going to get into our third segment, which is really about moving things forward. So make sure you stick with us. we got plenty of stuff to cover. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it here. Our third segment with Christina Johnson, registered nutritionist and licensed dietitian. Like I said before the break, our third segment is really about healing our bodies. And one of the things that I wanted to touch on on this segment, you know, I think especially with our, you know, community within black families, there's a lot of obstacles to eating healthy. Uh, we talked about, you know, the money side. I think, Christina, you even mentioned about the timing. Uh, a lot of parents may be single parents or may have multiple children, multiple jobs, large families, a lot of barriers that prevent us from, you know, having this healthier lifestyle. And obviously, we're not asking black families to drop their responsibilities to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for their families. But we do know that food is such an important part of our lives and it enables us to, you know, have a 
a great day because obviously if you don't eat well, you can't feel good throughout the day. So, Christina, when you talk to people who, you know, maybe give you some of these you know, reasons for why they're not focusing on their own personal nu- nutrition, how do you get them to wrap their heads around the concept that they have to really take care of their bodies to enable them to do all those other things? Just like that. That is exactly how I sort of phrase it to them. Like, look, all those lovely things that you want to do in this world are not going to get done on an empty stomach. It's just not, it's not going down. Um, if you want to affect the change that you want to see in this world, you have to be well nourished in order to do that. In order to show up in all of these different roles that you take on in life, you have to be well nourished. I remind my clients often, right? Cause again, I work in eating disorders. Do you know how trash of a dietitian I would be in this session? If I were sitting here hungry, thinking about my next meal and you're sitting here <laughs> trying to explain to me this food belief that you have or how, your body image and how you're struggling. Like, I can't help you if I'm thinking about my next meal. I'm over here in La La Land at that point. Like, in order for me to be effective in all of these different things that I do over the course of the day, I have to be well nourished. I have to feel, you know, at least 90%. So knowing that and knowing, like, if I am, I sort of talk about it in sort of brain space of like, if I'm spending more than two, three, four hours a day thinking about food, I am spending too much of my day thinking about food. If I'm thinking about what I did eat, what I didn't eat, what I'm allowed to eat, what I'm not allowed to eat, what's my next meal? What was the meal I had before? How is that going to change what I'm going to do in the afternoon? If I'm spending all of my time thinking about that, I am spending too much time thinking about food. That is directly impacting how I show up in all of these other roles. So I got to get that together. I have to stop spending so much time thinking about food hopefully by eating the things that I want to eat and feeling better, then I have more more mental space, more mental freedom to really put towards these other things that I really want to do in life. No, that's a, that's a, a great point. It's almost like it's all, I wouldn't say all, but it's sort of a, a mental game as well, trying to change your thinking of how you, you know, your relationship with food. And that was kind of the, the next question with this segment, as we're talking about healing our bodies here, um, We've talked about it before. It's a complex issue when we talk about our relationship with food and why we're seeing, you know, so many people be overweight and, and the challenges with that and applying moral values to food. But with that said, changing your diet and, and your relationship with food and your thinking towards food honestly can be t- intimidating for a lot of people. Like when you say, I'm going to change my diet, that sounds like this massive life change. And it just, you know, a lot of people just kind of shut down and are like, there's no way I can do that because of not only the places that are around me, I just don't have the time and they just don't know where to start. So I know we kind of gave some tips as far as how to eat healthy on a budget, but taking it a step further, I really step back from the beginning. How do we, how would someone, how would you suggest someone start to change their relationship um, towards food and, or, or and changing their diet, really, like where would where would be like step one so it doesn't feel like this monumental task? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really good question. I think typically what I'll have someone do is if they're not coming in with an eating disorder, obviously, right? If they're coming in with eating disorder, I got a lot of work to do. But like if someone's coming in and they just sort of have this like sort of tenuous relationship with food, then I always sort of start with, okay, how do you feel after you eat? How do you feel before? How do you feel after? Do you feel, you know, lethargic, tired, uh, um, disconnected before you eat? And then how do you feel after? Are you feeling energized? Are you feeling, you know, ready to move on to the next part of your day? Or are you feeling like you still have, like you still want to keep eating? 
Or do you feel like, oh man, I really don't feel good. I feel like I'm ready to go take a nap. Like, how are you feeling before? How are you feeling after? That's going to give you a lot of clues into what's happening in your relationship with food. Are you waiting too long to eat between times that you are eating so that you've literally sort of run out of energy, like immediate excess energy, so that you end up crashing multiple times in the day? Or are you eating to a point that you're so uncomfortable that it's hard to go on to the next part of your day? Right. Sort of checking in. How do I feel before? How do I feel after? And then making some tweaks from there. And then I think from that, you can start to check in and be like, you know what? I really think this would have actually been really good with this meal, whatever that thing might be. Or, you know what? I think I think I've really spent a lot of time uncomfortable after I eat. I think I'm eating more at a a sitting than what actually feels physically good. That's an important part. Uh, to look at Christina, how it makes you feel and not, you know, about other people, because, you know, there are some times where I'm just like, you know, I, I might eat, you know, a big meal. And I'm just, like you said, very lethargic. I'm just like, Oh, I need to, you know, realize that and make adjustments. Maybe I can eat that, but um, not as much of it or something like that. So it's, it's really important um, listeners to focus on your personal needs and not get drowned out by all the things that are going around you because our bodies are different and, you know, we need different things. But to round off this segment, one of the things that I um, have always, you know, I guess talked to people about and advocated for um, is the idea of, you know, preparation and moderation. Uh, just because, you know, I feel that, you know, we shouldn't have all these negative ideas about you shouldn't be able to you know, you shouldn't eat ice cream or you shouldn't eat fried chicken or whatever the case may be. But I do understand, you know, based off of, you know, reading, you know, medical journals, you know, frying and sauteing and a lot of butter and stuff like that, you know, it's not the best for you as far as health. So Christina, um, whenever you talk to people about these areas and these concepts of moderation and preparation, how do you go about teaching those? So one of the things that I teach people is to sort of have this unconditional permission, right? It's one of the principles of intuitive eating to have unconditional permission to have whatever it is that you are feeling like you want in that particular moment. And I'm aware that that can sometimes feel kind of daunting, especially if you have a very tight budget, but it doesn't mean that it cannot be done. Because uh, you've mentioned ice cream several times, and I'm really thinking about this pepper, like this candy cane ice cream I have in my freezer that I'm headed for right after this, like, so good. Um, but knowing like, okay, there's always ice cream in my freezer. There's there's always ice cream in my freezer and there's always going to be more at the store. So there's not this sort of deprivation mindset or this sort of scarcity mindset of, oh, I got to get while the getting's good because then I'm not allowed to have it after this. So like keeping in mind, like you are always allowed to have that thing. You are always allowed to go back and replace that thing at the store. And that oftentimes really helps people sort of create that internal gauge of like, actually, I really only want this much today or like maybe a couple of days from now, I want that much. But knowing that you're always allowed to have that thing, I think helps people really stop feeling so out of control. Because really what's happening is we create this sort of moderation concept because people feel out of control, right? So if I feel out of control, then I'm going to tell myself how much I'm allowed to have. But if I'm always allowed to have it, I don't need someone else to tell me how much I'm allowed to have. I can internally regulate that for myself, right? Like, Again, I always, for the most part, have ice cream in my freezer. And sometimes it's in there and it doesn't last very long. And then other times it's in there and it has frostbite. It just kind of depends on where I'm at in my life. What's the season? What's the weather like outside? What's the temperature inside? How is my day? Like all these other factors that sort of like come into that. But knowing, 
okay, if I'm always allowed to have this, how much do I actually want? I think that's a great point. That's a, that's a great point because I never really thought about it that way of the unconditional permission where I mean, I guess, you know, unconsciously, a lot of people do experience that where you feel like, oh, I have to eat all this right now because I went and bought it from the store. And if I don't eat it right now, it's like going to go to waste or, you know, it's I won't be able to get it again. But like you say, you just have to have that mindset of it's okay if you want to eat just a little bit now and come back later. You can, you always have that option. You don't have to get the entire experience right now. And that's something I've tried to to not consciously do it, but something I've noticed is where like, I don't eat ice cream as much, you know, now I do it in spurts, you know, maybe some days I'm filling it, other days I'm just not, and it goes to waste in the, in the fridge. But I think that's, that's a, a great point. Something I didn't really think about something people could try to do is mm-hmm. institute the, you know, the, the unconditional permission. So I really like that point. Um, but we'll go ahead. We got one more question for you, Christina, and we'll get you out of here. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go ahead and take a break listeners and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Remember, we have had a great conversation with Christina Johnson so far, registered nutritionist and licensed dietitian. As always, we got to end with the hopeful message just to send you off, like I said, to sit around with your family and friends, eat and feast for Thanksgiving. Um, but Christina, to kind of set the stage for your message here, we've hinted around the fact that, you know, it's not a fad. It's not a diet thing. It's not a, you know, one size fits all. There's a variety here. It's a spectrum. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people point to the entertainment industry, social media, different uh, personalities they view highly in their lives who may look a certain way. But your philosophy really stood out to me. And we kind of, you know, talked about your philosophy in the first segment. But I wanted to make sure that we end on this with your way of thinking and adopting that. Um, can you explain to our listeners, you know, how did you get to that comfort level? And what can you say to people who feel insecure and don't realize that there's room for everybody? Yeah, I love this question. And I think I'll, you know, because you mentioned sort of media and these sort of celebrity figures, I think I could do everything in my power to eat like Beyonce and I would never look like her. Right? Like, it's just not, it's not going to be the case. I'm not going to have her face. I'm not going to have her hit. First of all, I'm not Beyonce. Let's start with that. Lovely lady. I'm not her. I'm me. And honestly, I think that's a good thing that I'm me and not her. Right? We already have enough of her. If we had more Beyonce, she'd be less Beyonce. But once I sort of figure out, okay, like I am made to be me and that's okay. Like it's okay that I exist in this body. It's okay that I look this particular way. Then I stop having this belief or maybe I have to challenge it less the belief that I need to eat like someone else to look like someone else. Because I can't eat like someone else to look like them. I could eat like them, but I'm still going to look like me. And once I sort of really let that sink in, no matter who I eat like, I'm still going to look like me. Well, I might as well just eat like me. At that point, what do I want to eat? Because I want to eat what I want to eat. I don't want to eat what Beyonce wants to eat. She told us with the little diet she went on for Coachella. And she said she was miserable. Why do I want to live miserable just to look like this lady who said she was miserable? She was miserable. So I want to eat in a way that feels good to me, that brings me joy, comfort, happiness, satisfaction, but also gives me the energy I need to do all these cool things. I mean, I think they're cool over the course of the day and know that 
that's okay, right? Like I'm allowed to take care of myself, pursue health the way that I want to do it because more than likely that's going to be the more sustainable thing for me to do. If I pursue health the way someone else tells me I need to pursue it, I'm probably not going to go after it because you told me what I needed to do and it doesn't always fit for my life, right? And I say that knowing I'm a medical professional, I can give you suggestions on what I think could be helpful, but that doesn't mean, I don't know your life. I don't go home with you every day. I tell my clients all the time, I don't go home with you. I go home with me, right? So knowing that what I think is helpful doesn't always make that helpful, but I can give you a plethora of options and maybe none of those work and you go home and you try something else and that works for you. Good. Love that for you, but know that whatever you do that's going to be sustainable for you isn't going to feel like work. It's not going to feel like you had to go out of your way to do all of these really hard things. You're sad. You're miserable. Like it just is going to come very naturally to you because it was art. It's more sustainable for you. It was basically this sort of internal thing. Wow. This has been a great conversation and we got some, some things we could put on t-shirts. <laughs> you know, there's some quotes there. Especially at the end, I love that, you know, you, you you can eat like someone else, but that doesn't mean you will turn into them. And I think that's a great way to think about it because, you, like I say now, there is no shortage of diets or, you know, 10 tips to get fit in 30 days kind of things going around on YouTube. I mean, there's so much stuff out there and you can fall prey to it because there's so much pressure to, you know, be fit. And some of it is good pressure, but some of it can go too far. And that mm-hmm. belief in like, if I follow this man who told me this on YouTube, I will turn into him. And that's just not, that's not right. You will still be you at the end of the day. And so that's why, you, and I like the point about the food sovereignty and how that factors in too. You have to be able to be in control of the way that you eat and choose things on your own because that will help you sustain it. That's the, that's the key to all of it is you sustaining it. You can do the keto diet for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever you want to. But at the end of the day, that's not a life sustain. That's not a sustainable health, you know, uh, diet that you can continue to do for the rest of your life. You're going to eventually stop that because that is just not normal. <laughs> you could get away with it for, you know, some months, but that's why, you know, I, I love your message of choosing your own route when it comes to health and in your relationship with food and having that sovereignty, be, that sovereignty to be able to choose the things that you want to, that you can handle and not mm-hmm. trying to, you know, keep up with the Beyonce's and, you know, other people who may have these fat diets and things like that. So I love the message and I appreciate, you know, you being blunt about it and you're doing some awesome work. I'm in Dallas too. So I might even call you so I can get some help myself. Uh, so, but I do, I love the message and I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Right. Like Beyonce has all these people she pays to help her so that she only has to focus on what she's eating. The rest of us have jobs to go to. That is right. You're, I, I don't you're have a personal chef. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And I just got to say, thank you again, uh, Christina. It's been a really, really insightful conversation. You know, it made me think about the, you know, the slogan, you know, that, you know, my, my, my black is beautiful and different things of that nature and how um, I feel that people who are listening to this and wanting to have a healthier lifestyle, um, you got to put up some social blinders and you got to kind of drown out a lot of the things that you might be reading about and seeing and hearing. And like Christina said, eat and respond to your body, you know, let your body be the person who tells you, you know, what you should and shouldn't do or what you should and shouldn't put in your body. Um, Because like Christina said, you know, a lot of people like Beyonce are miserable doing that. 
or a lot of people like, you know, your Chris Hemworths and, you know, all the people on Marvel who get these, you know, rip six packs and stuff like that. I mean, that they're doing things that we can't do and you don't need to feel that you've got to do that. Um, there's a lot of, like I said, body shaming, depending on the community that you're in. But like Christina said, eat and be merry, you know, as you're sitting with your family and friends today during Thanksgiving, uh, don't feel bad. I mean, if your body says, hey, slow down, you might want to listen in, but don't mm-hmm. slow down just because somebody else tells you to. But that's that's what I wanted to make sure to end with there. But again, listeners, we've been joined today by Christina Johnson, registered nutritionist and licensed dietitian out of Dallas, Texas. If you need some help, Christina, how can folks reach out to you? Yeah, so you can uh, go to my website, encouragingdietitian.com. You can like reach me through the contact form. Um, I have an Instagram at encouragingdietitian. You can send me a DM or I have a Twitter, encouraging.rd. Um, I think of that as my like uh, quick-witted, sassy side where I can just tell you in uh, 240 characters or less why I don't like this particular concept of diet culture. Good, good. There you go, listeners. If you need some help, if you have liked what Christina's been talking about, about making you feel free to eat what you want to, but also understanding the parameters around that by responding to your body. If you like that philosophy that she's talking about, make sure you reach out to her. That would be awesome, awesome, awesome. So what we're going to do, we're going to give you another break, listeners. And when we come back, Deb and I will end the episode, but we're going to say farewell to Christina. But stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So, as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So, first up here, a little bit of news. We will not be with you this Saturday. Um, we will be taking this Saturday off for the holiday, just like you are, and enjoying our time with our family. And so, we will not be with you this week. Our next weekly roundup is going to be December the 4th. So, that's a Saturday. We'll be back to regular schedule. That'll be weekly roundup number 23 coming to you on December 4th. So, just to let you know, we will not be with you this Saturday, so enjoy your time. And if you have if you have some extra time, go back and listen to some of our older episodes if you haven't heard them. Uh, coming up then the following Tuesday, so on November the 30th, you can hear our next episode. This time we're talking about infrastructure. It's finally infrastructure week here on the Black Agenda podcast, and we're going to be joined by Miss Nicole Ndumale, who is the Senior Vice President of Race and Justice at the Center for American Progress. And so she's going to join the show to talk to us about how infrastructure promotes inequality. And so what that really means with the upcoming infrastructure bill that was passed. And so we're going to have it was a great conversation with her. So make sure you tune in for that. That's going to be coming to you on Tuesday, November 30th. And so um, also, as we enter the holiday season you're going to be giving to a lot of different organizations, and hopefully we make that list. And also, there's another great organization that we'll be highlighting later where you can donate to them. And so H is going to let you know how you can help us and also let you know of another great organization that you can look at helping as well. 
Absolutely, listeners. Uh, as Devin always says, you know, there is a reason to give to us. Um, we're trying to do great things here. Uh, I know he hadn't said it in a couple of times where we talk about how expensive it is to run the podcast, but it does take money to make Zoom and Podbean and Alitu and all those things operate. I'm just teasing Devin. It, 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 you, don't, you don't have to say those things. But what I always try to really emphasize is the fact that Devin and I are about more than just conversing with people like Christina and people like, you know, Dr. Joel Hunter and all these other great, you know, people that we've talked to. We're about action. And unfortunately in America to have action that's going to impact communities, you got to have some money behind that. You know, we can talk about, you know, policy. We can talk about promoting, you know, eating what you want and, you know, responding to your body. But if we had money to put towards media dollars and publicity and stuff like that, we could really, you know, really promote and elevate Christina's message to a whole nother level. And we can't do that without you listeners. So it's important that you do that. All you have to do is go to our website, blackagendapod.com. If you're listening to us in the Podbean app, you can actually click the donate tab right there while you're listening. When you get in there, you're going to see a lot of different levels to be a patron. As you give to us, Dev and I, we're going to give back to you. You might be on our show. You might give us a show suggestion. You might even get just a little thank you from us. It doesn't matter, but we are always going to give back to you as you give to us. So like I said, go to blackagendapod.com, click the donate tab and start giving. The other thing that Devin referenced, our charity of the month. Don't forget, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. We know that everybody's getting ready to eat well. Uh, don't you know? Don't let diabetes you know stop you from eating uh, as you enjoy your Thanksgiving dinners. But remember that the American Diabetes Association is out there for you if you do get diabetes. Their vision is a life free from diabetes and its burdens. Their mission is to cure, prevent diabetes and to improve the lives of all people affected by diabetes. So really, really great organization, great cause for the month of November. Check them out. But like I said, make sure you stop by blackagendapod.com and click that donate tab first. That's right. This is the season of giving. So make sure you give not only to the Black Agenda podcast, but also the uh, national uh, the American Diabetes Association will appreciate your help as well. So, again, we want to thank our guest, uh, Ms. Christina Johnson. She was amazing, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation and got some tips and things that you can really do to change your relationship with the food that you eat. Uh, also, we want to thank you. So this is the week for Thanksgiving, and we want to make sure we thank our listeners for supporting us and helping to spread our message here. We're, our goal here has always been education from the beginning, and so we can't grow this podcast without your support. So we wanted to say thank you to our listeners. For me and Adrian, we want to say thank you to to you, our listeners, for uh, supporting us for the last year or so. And so again, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. We're sending well wishes, positive vibes to everybody. As you're traveling, stay safe. Make sure you're taking the proper precautions to protect yourself. We are still in a pandemic, so don't forget that. Uh, but again, for me and Adrian, we wish you a happy Happy, happy Thanksgiving, and we will catch you on December 4th for our next episode. So until then, we'll catch you next time. 